Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Skatolka. We believe God in His Word has revealed a unique plan for Israel and the Jewish people. It's at the very heart of our mission to communicate this truth, and that's why we want to offer to you a free one-year subscription to our award-winning magazine, Israel, My Glory. Yes, Steve, I'm sure when it comes to Israel, a lot of our listeners may feel like these are deep theological issues that only their pastor or someone with a biblical degree can handle. And this is why Israel My Glory is such a valuable tool for you. Our magazine will give biblical insight you need to know that will help you understand why Israel still matters. You can get your copy of Israel My Glory at foiradio.org. That's F-O-I as in Friends of Israel Radio dot O-R-G. Now, today on the program, we're going to begin a three-week series on replacement theology, a theology that is actually prominent in the church today, a theology that argues the church has replaced Israel. Dr. Mike Staller, Director of International Ministries here at the Friends of Israel, will help us walk through the history of replacement theology and then apples of gold. Two archaeologists excavating in two different locations believe they both have uncovered the Galilean city of Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a fishing town and home to the apostles Peter, Andrew, and Philip, and the place of several miracles of Jesus. Both archaeologists believe to have some archaeological evidence for proving their site is the biblical city. But one claims they're both right. Rami Arav, professor of religion and philosophy, believes the city of Bethsaida moved around 500 AD when a geological disaster pushed the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee south, forcing fishermen to move to a new Bethsaida closer to the shore. More evidence is needed to prove this theory is correct, but praise God he preserves biblical sites like Bethsaida to prove the truth of the scriptures in such a skeptical world. Have you ever wondered why when you listen to some pastors or Bible teachers, they never seem to preach or teach about a future for Israel? And then you turn the channel and all of a sudden you're listening to another pastor or another teacher and all of a sudden they're teaching or preaching about God's plan for Israel and the Jewish people. Well, it's not always a black and white issue. But the truth is, the way pastors and teachers interpret the scriptures will determine whether or not Israel matters today and in the future. And that's why today I'm glad to have Dr. Mike Stollard, former dean of Baptist Bible Seminary and now director of international ministries here at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, here with me today to discuss the difficult issues surrounding replacement theology, a prominent theology in Christianity that says God has replaced Israel, hence replacement theology, that God has replaced Israel with the church. Mike, great to have you on the program, my friend. I'm glad to be here. Mike, can you help inform us a little bit, what is replacement theology? Well, you nailed it pretty well with your introduction, Uh, but basically replacement theology is the New Testament church, or the church as we understand it, replaces or supersedes 
or in some cases fulfills Israel's place as the people of God. So Israel, uh, the Jewish people, are no longer the people of God. Christians are the people of God. So today on the program, we're going to actually be investing three weeks uh, uh, talking with uh, Dr. Stollard about replacement theology. And, and this week, we're going to focus on history, and we're going to look at the history of replacement theology. Uh, Mike, if the church has replaced Israel, then do all the covenants that God made to Israel and the Jewish people, do they get transferred to the church as well? Well, many of the replacement uh, theologians will say yes in answer to that question. However, they don't uh, transfer them as they are. They transform them. That's a better word. They transform the promises. For example, there's no land promise for the church. The church doesn't inherit land in Palestine. They might say that the church or all believers of all time inherit the entire world. So there's a transformation of the promises given in the Old Testament and other places uh, that uh, is changes it for the church. Do you think it's wrong for them to do that? Is it wrong to transfer or to transform those promises uh, from Israel to the church? Is, is that a, a, a bad way to, to, to handle the text? I think it's absolutely the wrong way to read the Bible uh, because you end up canceling what the promise meant to the original audience, and God gave those promises intentionally to them to encourage them. When did replacement theology, this idea that that the church replaces a national hope for Israel, a, a purpose that God gave to Israel, when did that begin to creep in to the early church? I think there are a couple things we could say there. First, 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed the temple and Jerusalem, that was a shocking event for Christians as well as it was for the Jews, even though Jesus had predicted that that would happen. Uh, but it was very natural, I think, for them to think in their minds, well, maybe God has finished with Israel. So they saw the actual destruction of the temple as a sign that God was done, finished. I think it entered their minds. Yeah. Now, later on in the early second century, uh, we, we see the rise of replacement thinking very early on. Uh, you have a revival of Greek philosophy in the second century. Uh, you have, uh, out of all the philosophers that they opted to prefer as their favorite, was Plato. Uh, and as, as that thinking rose, you think about what Plato believed. He believed that the real stuff is not the real stuff. The real stuff is the idea. So the chair I'm sitting in right now, that's not the real thing. It's the idea of the chair. And you can see how that would impact thinking about a concrete, earthly, real, material, ethnic-centered kingdom. That idea didn't fit that philosophy, and the church was buying into that philosophy. And so gradually by the wayside, a replacement of the promises to Israel were replaced uh, by promises spiritually given to the church. And, and that was something I was going to ask, too, is, you know, it would be one thing to, to look at the, the, how replacement theology infused itself into the church um, maybe a thousand years ago or so, but it happened so closely to the resurrection of Christ. It happened so closely to when there was just a Jewish church. You, you were talking about second century AD. What what could have potentially happened within that small time frame that all of a sudden the church almost adopts wholeheartedly this idea of replacement theology? Well, remember the relationship between Jewish folks who don't believe in Jesus and 
the Jewish people who do believe in Jesus was rocky from the beginning. There was persecution, Acts chapter 8, of Jews on Christians, and unfortunately, Christians later returned the favor. And so there's this change, this swap, as Christian numbers grew and swelled because of the Gentile influx into the church, uh, there was this buying into uh, the, the spiritual notion of the kingdom, the idea that the Jews uh, have lost their favor with God, and so they either forfeited or the church took over the promises one way or the other. Are there any church fathers that stand out to you early on that really promoted this idea of replacement theology early on in church history? I think uh, Justin Martyr and uh, Irenaeus, those two guys who were really good guys. I don't want to have the audience misunderstand. They were, they were premillennialists. But they didn't have Jewish things in their premillennialism. Mm-hmm. So you see an incipient or beginning form of the strong replacement theology that begins to emerge in the next century with full-blown amillennialism. Now, the church, as we've been saying, historically embraced replacement theology. When did the church begin to value seeing that God has a plan and program for Israel that's unique from the church, and, and I'm not talking about the fact that uh, their their salvation is different. Uh, you know, Jew and Gentile, they both need Jesus as Savior. But what I'm talking about is that God has a unique plan for Israel that's different from the church. When did the church begin to see that maybe replacement theology is wrong? Oh, I'm I'm glad, Chris, that you you mentioned that Jews and Gentiles come to Christ the same way, come to God the same way. Right. Uh, dispensationalism, Zionism. Uh, we've we've been criticized unfairly on that point that we somehow believe Jews get in just because they're Jews or some other thing or the law of Moses or something else. No, everyone gets into God's coming kingdom by faith in Christ. Right, and Paul makes that very, very clear. It's very clear. So that's not the issue at all, and I agree with you. Uh, in terms of when the return began to happen, uh, where Israel's things, the promises to them, uh, began to be taken more seriously again after they had died off, in church history, uh, we see that emerge in the Reformation. Uh, You have the reformers, the big reformers, uh, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and all those guys, they kept replacement theology in place. Mm -hmm. They were amillennialists. But they started practicing grammatical, historical, or literal interpretation on most other things. Uh, Things like uh, salvation. Salvation uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They go to those passages, and they would accept them literally at face value. And so they introduced that hermeneutic once again that took the Bible at face value. And as a result, uh, their children and grandchildren spiritually began to read the Bible in other places using the same hermeneutic and and things like the uh, promises to Israel about their land and about their future, they began to take that at face value as well. And of course, that leads to a revival of the Jewish perspective of the Bible eventually. That's important, too, because that was when the Bible really kind of left the confines of the priest. The priest was the only one that had access to the Bible and started to get disseminated to the people, and the people took that and began to read it for themselves, ultimately, as you said, leading to this idea that they were able to interpret the Bible literally and see a hope for Israel uh, right from the Scriptures. Now, listen, we've been talking with Dr. Mike. Mike Stollard, and uh, he's been enlightening us on the history of replacement theology. I want you to be sure to join us next week, because we're going to come back again with uh, Dr. Stollard, and we are going to talk about 
the hermeneutics or or the a better word the interpretation of replacement theology things that you need to be looking out for when you hear people speaking and teaching in the bible to be able to keep an eye on how people are interpreting the scriptures so you know whether or not they adopt the practice of replacement theology or they see a hope and a future for israel and the jewish people Have you ever wondered how Bible-believing pastors can interpret the scriptures differently when it comes to Israel? Why does one say God is through with the Jewish nation while the other teaches a literal future for Israel? Chris, some might be thinking, does it matter? And is there really that big of a difference between these two schools of theology? Steve, there really is a difference between covenant and dispensational theology. And that's why we'd like to recommend Dr. Reynolds Shower's book, there really is a difference. Dr. Showers takes the two popular theological systems or approaches to reading and understanding the scriptures and compares them side by side in an easy to understand way. To purchase your copy of There Really Is a Difference, go to foiradio.org or call 888-343-6940. That's foiradio.org or call 888-343-6940. It was great to speak with Dr. Mike Stallard on the history of replacement theology. And, you know, when you when you hear about it, it, it can be quite disheartening uh, to think that within church history, this idea of replacement theology took root less than 100 years after the resurrection of Christ. Now, it's true replacement theology permeated the church for centuries, But there were moments in church history that kept alive the biblical hope of Israel's restoration. There there are a handful of church fathers throughout that saw within the scriptures a hope for the Jewish people returning to their ancient homeland. And from that divine act, God's redemptive plan would find its culmination. For instance, Justin Martyr, who lived from 100 to 165 A.D., There is no doubt Justin Martyr was one of the church's earliest adopters of replacement theology, as uh, Mike was talking about in the previous segment. But aspects of his view of the land of Israel were centered on what the Old Testament prophets promised. Justin Martyr is quoted saying this, listen, but I and others who are right-minded Christians on all points are assured that there will be a resurrection of the dead and a thousand years in Jerusalem, which will then be built, adorned, and enlarged as the prophets Ezekiel and Isaiah and others declare. And further, there was a certain man with us whose name was John, one of the apostles of Christ who prophesied by a revelation that was made to him that those who believed in our Christ would dwell a thousand years in Jerusalem. What's important to see about Justin Martyr's quote is that he believed in a physical kingdom and a millennium, a reign of Jesus the Messiah from where? From Jerusalem. 
And it's important to note that because he believed Jerusalem would take its place of prominence in the future. That's what we hold to here at the Friends of Israel. We believe that God has a plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel to once again become God's tool for administering his blessings to the world. That's the beauty of what God was planning all along through Israel and the Jewish people. And I love this. He, he actually goes back and connects with what the Apostle John wrote in the book of Revelation and what the prophets promised in the Old Testament. Most replacement theologians today would be hard-pressed to say the Jerusalem of the prophets in the Old Testament is equal to the Jerusalem John saw in the book of Revelation. However, Justin Martyr, in his flawed approach, was still able to see a future for a restored Jerusalem. Another notable Christian in his church history that saw God's plan for Israel and the Jewish people in medieval history is Gerard of Borgo Sandonino. Gerard lived around 1255, and he was an Italian friar who taught the unique view that Jews would be blessed as Jews in the end time and would return to their ancient homeland. Gerard wrote about this, and Pope Alexander IV was worried these writings would be disseminated. So he, so the book that Gerard wrote was destroyed, and he was thrown in jail for life. He remained in jail until his death in 1273 and refused to recant from his beliefs. Gerard, even in the medieval history of the church, when replacement theology was the only theology searched the scriptures and saw God's plan for Israel and the Jewish people. And for his beliefs, he suffered in jail and died. Now, these are only two Christian writers who saw both a hope for the land and for the Jewish people. There are more in church history, but I'll be honest, not that many. Next week, we're going to look at the unique Christians in church history who held to a literal interpretation of the Bible despite the stronghold replacement theology had on the church at that time. Israel, on the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Svi is now in the presence of his Savior, his collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Svi. Not long ago, one of our Jewish neighbors invited me to visit him at his home. I gladly accepted, since I had been waiting a long time for this invitation, so I could share with him about faith in Christ. He and his wife received me warmly, and my neighbor asked, Do you know why I invited you? I answered, Because we're good neighbors and friends. No, he said. I invited you to listen to one of our great rabbis preach on television about Shabbat which is the Sabbath. He even invited some of his Orthodox friends so he would not be alone when he needed to answer my question. The rabbi spoke about prayers, which books people must have and which prayer God receives best. I listened for two hours. 
My neighbor and his friends thought they had put me in my place since I was silent. Finally, they began to ask me questions. What do you have to say about all you have heard? One asked. What I have to say is written in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. How can you say such a thing? He asked with surprise. He is a famous rabbi. And what you say is vanity. Of course you do not pray. You do not even have a prayer book. Did our great prophets pray using your prayer books, or did they pray from the depths of their heart? God heard their prayers. My faith is in the Lord who hears us when we pray from our hearts. I do not trust in what men say about prayer, no matter how famous they are, I said. One replied, You are telling us what you have learned from this Christian book, the New Testament, Word is written about this man, Jesus. I replied, How blind you are. You do not even know what is written, that we should pray with our hearts. So I opened my Bible and read to them from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. They looked at each other with great shame, but they did not give up trying to convince me I was wrong. One man replied, But those who believe in this man, Jesus, have strayed from the Bible. I showed them my Bible, consisting of both Testaments in Hebrew. They were extremely surprised that we who believe in Christ read the Bible. And after a few hours of discussion, several of the men wanted to know how I came to know the Lord. I told them, it was because I read the Bible only, not a big stack of other books. They became angry and started shouting there was no way I could believe in Jesus by reading the Hebrew Scriptures. So I opened my Bible to Isaiah 53 and read it to them. They asked why I was reading from the New Testament. I showed them I was reading from one of Israel's major prophets. They looked at my Bible, and I began to read Isaiah 53 for themselves. We will have to ask our rabbis about this. But you believe in this one who was born in Bethlehem. Where is it written that God was to be born in Bethlehem? I told them to look in my Bible and read Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. After this they were all quiet. Pray God will help them to see with their hearts and understand that Jesus is God and that he loves them. We'd like to thank Mike Stallard for being with us today. He'll be joining us again next week to continue our discussion on replacement theology. 
Because of people like you, the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry has been sharing the love of the Messiah and supporting Israel and the Jewish people since 1938. If you feel led to support our work or you simply want to reach out to us, visit foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. You can call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Or write to us at FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. I'll give that to you once more. FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. And please let us know where you're listening when you call or write. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.